Whoa. Good morning, good afternoon, and good night. This is Connor Hallway of the Golden Hours Podcast. And listen, man, I'm a competitive psycho. You guys will soon learn that. I'm going to try to be more honest in some of these openings about how we scrape to get some of these people on the show and how we build certain stuff in the city and why we get a lot of stuff done. And so anytime you meet another competitive psycho, you're like, whoa, I got respect for that guy right there. So we just had Randy Greenstein of Big Night Entertainment on the show. Randy runs all the most poppin' clubs in Boston. He also owns a total of 17 venues, including ones at Foxwoods, including ones at Patriot's Place. He owns restaurants. And he's young, man. He's young for an entrepreneur at the level of success he has. He's, I'm going to guess he's in like his 40s, early 40s, late 30s maybe. And it was really, really sweet to hear how he's built his company. He started back, way back in the 90s, and early 2000s working at kiss 108 and he was a stunt boy so maddie in the morning would send him out for live entertainment on the radio to go do ridiculous stuff and he actually showed a really funny story about how he almost got sniped down outside of conquered prison it was hilarious and he talked about how he transitioned from that into dj and then into owning clubs he also talked about a really cool visualization story about how it was one of his goals to own a club at Foxwoods, and he ended up owning one, which is really wild. And uh, he talked a lot about the growth of his company and where he wants to take things and how he thinks it can be a global brand. A lot of people don't realize that when national-level artists or entertainers come to Boston, that creates an economy in its own. We used to, I used to record at Phoenix Down in Somerville, and... The engineers over there had opportunities to work with new artists because Big Night was bringing in, for Snoop Dogg, for instance, because Big Night was bringing in this industry-level talent that they normally wouldn't have access to. So, nonetheless, man, massive respect for those guys. I'm sure the venues will open up soon, and he also talked about his Be Strong Fund. Dude, we're keeping this Zoom podcast booming, baby boy. I hope you guys enjoy the interview and uh, send me a DM. And let me know your thoughts. All right, hey, thank you so much. Golden Deer Productions. Golden Deer. Oh, oh, wait, was that not it? Hey, enter, just, you forgot to enter. Hi, I'm Randy Greenstein, and this is my golden hour. Sweet. Hey, so I have my, all my producers on the phone right now. B, Big Fresh, and Slug. Say what's up to the Boston Young Entrepreneur Goat. Hello, how are you? What's going on, Randy? What's happening, y'all? I hear a lot of bees for a big night. Yeah. Hey, man. So I've probably uh, I've probably harassed your your marketing people for like eight months to do this, man. I've just been in such awe of what you built in Boston. So thank you for running this with me. Yeah, thanks. Well, it's, I, I have more time on my hands. I'm at my house, so I'm quarantined. So I'm sh- I'm sure. Are you located in the city? Or are you outside the city? I live in the North Shore. Word. Okay. Yeah, dude, we like we went crazy on the research for this episode, man. We were pumped. All right, let's go. Let's hear it. Let's see how deep you went. Well, uh, so I think starting out like when I had first heard of Big Night, I used to do some work over at the Channel Center. So like Mr. Kane lives over there. Yep, yep. And so I, I, yeah, and so I just I kept seeing the logo around, and then as soon as I left college, I went to Providence College, and I went to boston for the first time i think the first club everyone was like yo bro we got to go to the grand man and i was like yo dude i don't know if i have that much money man (laughs) (laughs) um but can you 
before we move on, can you just give a quick synopsis of who you are and what you do? Yeah, I mean, the grand definitely changed our world for sure. But um, uh, my name is Randy Greenstein. I uh, one of the owners, co-owners of Big Night Entertainment, and we have 17 venues in and around New England. So it all started 13 years ago or so down at Shrine in Connecticut at Foxwoods, which we have a lot of PC people that that go there and party there. A lot of URI, a lot of PC. Um, it's pretty close to Providence. So uh shrine was our first you know big mega club my two partners ed and joe kane have been doing it for a long time they had waterworks back in quincy mass uh back in the day i used to work at kiss 108 uh and i was there one of their djs for like 10 years i dj'd every sunday night at waterworks which is this it was this big outdoor sixty thousand square foot three thousand person nightclub that now we saw open, uh yeah. i don't know if you've seen that new barstool documentary but I think they, they were throwing blackout parties at the waterworks like way back when, right? They might have. It's possible. It's possible. I don't, I don't fully recall, but those things were wild. Uh, Portnoy and uh, Dante was one of the DJs. He's a good friend. And, and we did a lot of stuff with, uh, with Dave too. But. Well, that, so I follow you on IG. So that's the same thing. We, uh, I've seen like a bunch of Vinny Vibe posts. We used to go to the Whiskey Republic all the time and he would always yep. be doing sets there, man. Yep, Vanny's my boy. He's actually been with us since day one at Shrine, um, but he's he's the king of Providence for sure. Now, so explain like you're you're just like a hustler. You're like from North Shore. Are you from or you Lynn? Lynn yeah, that's where I grew up here. Yep. Yep. So you're just like grinding. You're doing like overnight shifts at Kiss. How do you make this like initial merger into Big Night? And like, how yeah. young are you in this start? I mean, yeah, it's a long story, but I, I started at Kiss 108 when I was 16 years old. Um, Billy Costa, who's still on the air with Maddie in the morning, the co-host, uh, he grew up, he was living in the same town I grew up in. And I had called him, you'll love this story, because it it's an early hustler story for sure. Uh, but I was 16, my friend in high school played tennis with him. I was the treasurer of our student council and I wanted to throw a concert a fundraising concert at our school back in 93 um, when I was 16. And wow. so he gave this guy, man, it's wild. So he gave me his number cause he played tennis with him. And I called Billy at his house and he picked up and he, and just talked to me randomly. And, um, and I told him I wanted to throw a concert, blah, blah, blah. Oh, and by the way, I'm going to college, you know, in a year and a half, I, I had gone, um, I'd planned on going to you Maryland early acceptance. So, so I'm going to Maryland, I'm going to communications, blah, blah, blah. I really love KISS and I want to I wanna learn about radio, you know. He's like, oh, come in tomorrow. And so I went in and he starts his day at 3.30, 4 in the morning for his 6 a.m. morning show. So I went in and um, dressed up in a suit. I remember it like it was yesterday, like <laughs> 16 years old, dressed up in a suit, like my big interview. I had no idea what's even going on. I show up at like 4 in the morning. Literally, he just works the whole time, barely acknowledges me. I'm sitting there in his office waiting for the show to be over. The show ends at 10. He sits down and he's like, so you want to start tomorrow? And I'm like, uh, yeah, I do. So I started interning for him at Kiss back when I was 16. I would go it was all summer and then I'd go before high school from like four to seven, then go to school and then go back to Kiss at like two after school was over. And I did that for like two years. Then I went to college. Then I came back from U Maryland early. I didn't go there long and uh, ended up working at KISS like full, full, full time. 
basically for like 13, 14 years. Uh, I did everything from the morning show. I did, I was their stunt boy. Uh, I did over a hundred stunts, like crazy things. I worked in the promotion. What do you mean stunt boy? This is a crazy part of my life too, but I try to not remember it. But uh, (laughs) I, I literally saw it it was so long ago when it was before Instagram, before social media. um, And they would send me out Maddie in the morning and Billy would send me out to do stunts. And it's hard to even describe. So one time they sent me to Patriots training camp and I'm on the phone live on the radio while they're live. And they're like, they're like the Patriots were walking out to training camp and they're like, go tackle Tom Brady. And like, you know, like crazy stuff like that. They, they put me outside of like Concord state prison. I mean, these, these stories are going to sound so ridiculous that they're not going to sound real, but they were all real. They put me outside of Concord state prison in an orange jumpsuit, handcuffs. The one off route two? Route two, the rotary. Dude, that's like a maximum security. No, no. Wait till you hear this story. Maximum security. So handcuffs, leg cuffs, orange jumpsuit, pretend like you're escaping from prison while live on the radio. So I'm, I'm, I got my phone, I'm on the radio, and he sends me, Matt sends me to, this, to the rotary and says, knock on a, co- on a window as they're like going around the rotary. So I remember this like it was yesterday too. I knock on the window of the, oh, it was a caravan. I knock on the window, I'm trying to escape, I'm trying to escape. The, the caravan like, like, like scratches off like 100 miles an hour out of the, out of the thing. All of a sudden, I turn around, and the warden of the prison is in my face with eight guards. Dude, I was going to say, is there a sniper rifle at you right now? Sniper rifle (laughs) in the tower, right? He's spitting in my face. You just disrupted my institution, blah, 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 blah. So mad at me. And I'm like, oh, my God, I'm so sorry, sir. I'm so sorry. And, like, he's freaking out. uh, I I got arrested. The, The state trooper, like, picked me up by my neck with two fingers, threw me in the back of the car, head off the car, drove 100 miles an hour to the barracks in Concord. I was in, I was in a cell for hours and hours and hours. Uh, it was a Friday afternoon. Luckily, I got like bailed out by the radio station. It was so nuts. Um, the next day or Monday, they, they, they called in, and the guy in the tower asked if he was clear to shoot. Like, legit. Wow. And that, I actually, that was five years into me being the stunt boy. And that was you were doing my, that for five years. You were I running did it for five crazy. years. I have hundreds of stories. That was the craziest story, probably the most memorable story. I got detained by the Secret Service. I snuck on like the USS, one of those ships during the tall ships. Like no way. Really, really, really crazy shit. Like, like can't make it up shit. Um, and and, and I were you cool it. with it at the time, or were you like, no. hey, this is going to be an opportunity for for me? I hated every second of it. Every single time before a stunt, I had to go to the bathroom. My stomach was upset. <laughs> I like literally was going to literally shit my pants every single time one of the things happened. But that's what actually made it funny because Maddie and Billy are family to me. Like I was an intern. I was there for a long time. So I was like part of their lives. And so it was so natural. I hated it. They made fun of me for hating it. And, but, I, but early on in the process, they said to me, listen, you either have to do – Matt said this. You either have to do everything I say – or you can't do it. And it, it wasn't like a threat. It was just the only way this is going to work on radio is if you literally do everything I say. So from that moment on, they're like, you have 24 hours to decide whether this is what you want or not. And I decided that I wanted, I, 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 I definitely have ambition. I wanted to succeed. 
I like winning. I'm competitive. So, like, I was a wrestler in high school and college. Like, uh, I, I just – I had to win. And so I said yes, and I did it, and I hated every second of it for five years to the point where Concord State Prison pretty much put me over the top because I almost got, like, in a lot of trouble. Like, well, a lot. Was there ever a point, like, you're five years in, like, running gimmicks, you're like, yo – what am I doing? Like, where's, when do I reach the next step of like, you know, like maybe DJing or like- Well, no, so all that was happening at the same time. So the morning show is only 6 a.m. to 10 a.m. So I'd go in and, and be Billy's intern and help do the news, prepare the news with him and form. And then Maddie would have me on and I'd do a stunt pretty much every day or every other day, like something that they would build the show around that one stunt or that, that hour around that one stunt. And so I loved it. I, I, I hated it, but I loved it. But at the same time, Billy convinced me to DJ. And so I bought my own sound system, you know, mobile DJ sound system. I started DJing. I DJed weddings. I DJed bar mitzvahs, bar mitzvahs, all that stuff. But I really only like DJing clubs. So to cut to the chase, I really concentrated on DJing clubs at night while also doing the morning show, while also doing stunts, while also doing marketing and promotion. So I worked in every department at KISS at the time, but also DJed at night. And that's where I fell in love with the nightclub scene, DJing, music. I was always into music and throwing concerts and throwing a party. And when you, you know, at the time, obviously just DJing nightclubs, but when you end up owning nightclubs, you, you literally, that's what you do every night. You throw a party, you throw an event, and the mission is to sell it out every night. So that I get a lot of um, excitement and fun out of literally throwing parties, figuring out how to get to a thousand people to come to the party. It's a promoter. Mm -hmm. So there's a lot of like excitement and, and, and energy in, in that. And I fell in love with that. And then I DJed through Kiss 108. I DJed at Waterworks. I met Ed Kane and Joe Kane. And from there, we started Big Night Entertainment Group in 2006. We were in Ed's apartment in his loft. We were brainstorming ideas for a company. I was leaving Kiss at that time, 13, 14 years later. I was just ready at that how, point. How old are you? Else. How old am I at that point? Uh, 29, I think. 29, because I started so you young. Were, but you were done with the, the, the stunts by like that point, right? I stopped the stunts around 24. I, I did them say, for like... It'd be cool when you're like 21, but like you're pushing 30. They're probably, who's this old man creeping around the playground yeah. around here, man? Well, from 19 to 24, I did the stunts. Concord happened around 23, 24 years old. That was the red flag. Don't do that again. Um, you know, I'm starting to get responsibility. I'm starting to, you know, I'm going to get married, have kids, all that stuff. So, so I definitely shut that down, moved into marketing and sales at the radio station, DJed and fell in love with sort of the nightclub restaurant business. And, and, and that's kind of how it happened. So that was around 29. Um, now, when did you realize, so I've thrown like a bunch of parties myself, obviously not to the same magnitude as you. Are you actually it all familiar start with the, somewhere? It all starts somewhere. Are, are you familiar with the Coliseum in Providence? Not personally, but I think I've heard of it. Yeah. That's why I threw my first one. But at what point did you realize like, yo, I just love chaos. Like I love like tons of moving parts. Because to be successful in events, it seems like you got to be able to just manage all the crazy shit thrown at you on a day-to-day -day basis. Yeah, I have to think that I was, like, born with it. Because I can't remember how far back I loved the chaos. Like, I would sell now and laters in school, in middle school. I would buy a tub at Costco 
and sell each individual one for five cents and try to turn a profit. I was even like, I didn't want to say it on a podcast, but taking bets. Like I was doing some wild shit in high school. Like, oh, I was running brackets in high school too. Yeah. Yeah. So I don't want to get arrested now, but hopefully uh, that doesn't happen. You know? What was it important for you when you were starting that to build in Boston specifically, or if someone was like, yo, Randy, you seem like you're like the young prodigy. You want to come to New York and build something with me? Was it important for you to start out here? Uh, well, that was never even one of the options. You know, I DJed in Boston and all around Boston. I, you know, I was a big fan of Foxwoods and going to Foxwoods and playing poker and going to that club. I actually think my 30th birthday was at the Foxwoods club before Shrine opened. So, like, that was all part of me. So, New England's part of me. Boston's part of me. Obviously, I joined forces with Ed Kane and Joe Kane right off the bat. You know, so I worked at Waterworks from 90-something to 2005, whatever. We started Big Night 2006. And, like, that was never – New York's never even been a thought. Uh, L.A. is not even a thought. Vegas is a thought, but now it's a thought as Big Night. Not like – I never individually wanted to travel. I had kids, you know, young, uh, married and had kids at 25. So, like, Whoa. right off the bat, traveling and leaving this – market was never even a thought or an option or a desire anyway um but Dude, are, are people stunned when when you tell them you have a family because like i'm sure your day-to-day is insane i don't even know how you keep balance yeah yeah sometimes uh sometimes people are 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 wild out by that but yeah it's it just is it, it's it i it's been like this since day one you know so from high school to college to DJing, it's all, we've all been a family since day one, my wife and kids and, um, you know, literally as far back as we can all remember. So she was used to me DJing four or five nights a week till two, three in the morning anyway. So it was never even an issue, you know? And so before big nights started, what was the, the state of like Boston nightlife? Were they, was it just like the pop and nightclubs on Tremont and like here, Icon, Bijou, were, the, were those all there? Well, some were there, some weren't. Obviously, Roxy was a big one, which now is Royale. Um, you know, Ed and Joe and I did the estate, um, which was in the alley across from Gypsy Bars, whatever that was called at the time. Where's that? Uh, is that Emerson? At, right where Emerson is. Actually, yeah. when we stopped, we were there for eight years. When we stopped, Emerson bought was our landlord. They bought our building and built dorms. So that's why the estate ended. But so nightlife before the grand was all very inexpensive, uh, mediocre at best, um, you know, in terms of how much money got put into them, right? So like hundreds of thousands of dollars versus millions. When we, when we built Grand from the ground up, you know, we spent approximately like $14 million building that place. So it was intended to be a Vegas-style nightclub from the get-go with real money, a million dollar sound system, a function one sound system that no one in this market had done before. Um, just like really top level sound, 70 foot LED wall, you know, 200 kinetic lights in the ceiling. So let's the, go. the, the, te- the tech, <laughs> right, let's get back to it. The tech package, uh, I'll never take one of those nights for granted again, but uh, a tech package was over $2 million just in technology at the Grand. So whereas the estate, we sort of, painted and papered it with new uh new, you know with with new paint and new paper for a couple hundred grand and called it called it a new demographic name. though right i mean it was college kids well yeah but all of boston is that right so so boston in general 
was inexpensive build-outs. No one had ever put the money in. And I think that's the difference. You know, I'm I'm a big Vegas guy. I've been to Vegas 20-plus times. You know, Ed and Joe, we've all been there. We've gone for the nightclub and bar conventions for 20 years. Like, so we've always had our eye on Vegas. And how can we bring Vegas back to Boston? Vegas is the mecca of nightlife. There's no question about it. You know, Omnia is a $100 million club. Encore Beach Club's a 50, 60, $70 million they spent building it, maybe more, $90 million. So, like, to, to, you can only make something amazing with money. You can't build, you know, a, a palace with $3. So you have to build um, with a lot of money. And so we went into it knowing that. So, you know, we raised money, private equity, investors, friends, family, all that stuff. And we went out and built the very best club Boston's ever seen before uh, intentionally, you know. Was it easy to find the investment in the city in Boston? I mean, because you're right in the mecca of all these financial institutions. and Yeah, I mean, really, we have an amazing investment group. It started 13 years ago at Shrine, though. So you have to keep in mind when we built Shrine in 08, built it in 07, opened in 08, you know, when we built that, you know, we went out and found 20 amazing investors, uh, friends, family, acquaintances, business people in the Boston, New England area, and built that. And then that had success. So then a year later, we built Scorpion Bar at Foxwoods with some investors that had success. Then a year later, we built high rollers, the bowling alley sports bar that had success. So every year we built a new place. Each one had success. Each one had a payoff for investors. So it, it became easier and easier each time. Not that it was ever easy. You're building but rapport, be, but building rapport, building a, a return on investment, uh, showing them what we're made of as entrepreneurs, as operators that, you know, you know, you could open one place and it could be a fluke. You can't open 10 places and they all do well and it's a fluke. So we've started to get more and more, um, you know, confidence in investors. And so, yeah, raising the money for the grand wasn't incredibly complicated. Um, and for any of our projects, once the first one was complicated. I'm sure the first one you were probably just like scraping it together. Like, where'd you yeah. we're going to trust these guys to open up this bar in this casino? It was pretty wild too. We went out to the market with twenty two hundred and fifty thousand dollar investors. That's what we had to go get. And so we signed the lease, we signed our personal guarantee, we signed our life away before we even had a dollar. And I and I think Were that, you nervous as hell at the time? Were you like, Oh my god, I got all this on the line? I think the interesting thing is no. Like the you know, like like Ed, Joe and I, like I think all entrepreneurs, like if you're gonna go all in on something you go all in you don't think about it you don't think about failure failure is not an option you just you just put your money where your mouth is if you're willing to put 24 7 worth of work into it you're not gonna fail so that was never even an option i don't think we were ever nervous but you've definitely caught l's along the way right i mean i mean you know I'm not i know gonna- it's tough to talk about randy but i'm not gonna say we have it they, they haven't all been grand slams but we've never lost the game. This dude's a competitive psycho. I love it, man. No, you can't. There's no losing. No, we've never lost. Uh, some have been, <laughs> some have been more challenging. Yeah, not to be arrogant because we're that's the opposite of uh, how we operate. But uh, yeah, losing isn't 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 an option. But no, I mean some are better than others. The Grand is a smash. Shrine is a smash. Memoir is a smash. Big Night Live's about to Scorpion's be a smash. a smash, man. Yeah, Scorpion actually, pound for pound. It's like Floyd Mayweather. 
pound for pound scorpion is our best because they're all 5,000 square feet, give or take. And we have three of them and they all bang out uh, real success. You know, Gem was a challenge. We had, we had one in downtown crossing, second floor, one way street. It wasn't the mo it, we, it was like a cult following people that loved it, loved it. People miss Gem to this day, but we converted it to verses. I think it was an interesting lesson too. We pivoted and we decided to convert it to an arcade bar. And now it's, gangbusters it's amazing uh well nothing is right this second but as soon as we get through covid it will be but it's been it was going really well um and uh so yeah how did you assess there was a market for that in the city like an adult uh, arcade experience all of them were doing well you know cambridge external stanley mass had had one that was doing well like a bunch of different places were doing well and it was a trend around the country and someone threw it out as an idea and we were like ding 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 that's the winner that's the one the space felt right for it downtown crossing a lot of people work there after work you know nightclubs are hard and gem was a boutique nightclub and at the end of the day you know we opened grand and memoir and kind of put ourselves out of the business at gem um to a degree because you're not going to go to that yeah. boutique little club when you could go to the mega club so uh it was an easy decision and and it worked out really well and it just it felt right. And you never know when you're opening these things, like, is it going to connect to the audience, connect to the market? But it felt right from the get-go and it, it came out of the gate perfect. Like, it's just, you know, it's not expensive. For $5, you get a wristband and you play 30, 40 arcade games for free as long as you want. We have Xbox, PlayStation, Nintendo Switch on all the TV screens. So, like, you play video games. So, it just, it just feels right for today, for 2020, and, and it's been working. So, the lesson learned is even if you're about to take an L or, or it's going in the wrong direction, you could pivot out of it and, and change your business model and be fine, you know? So, I mean, if we're being real, you really have not taken an L in the past, like, 10 years. No, I, I, you know, again, a couple haven't been as good as others, but no, I mean, and, and like I said, if, if we are, if, it, if it's, I'm never going to call it an L because it's not... <laughs> Nothing's ever been a loss, but there are two conversions. I'll give you this. There have been two conversions. Gem Diverses and Explorator in downtown, in downtown Boston. We're converting it. We're in the middle of it right now to Guy Fieri's uh, Boston Kitchen and Bar and That's Chicken gonna Guy. Sweet. That's yeah, gonna it's going to be amazing. His Chicken Guy concept down in Disney. Uh, we're the first one in Boston to do it. Um, and it's chicken fingers, chicken sandwiches, like perfectly fried. It's it's like I went down there. It's unbelievable. So we're so, downtown crossing. Yeah, it's on the corner of Tremont and Boylston Street. Oh, you're going to get a gazillion people in there. Yeah, yeah. So we had a place there that was doing fine, but not a giant W. So and this opportunity came about with Guy. We have two restaurants with Guy right now. We're building two more. So he's amazing, awesome dude, generous dude. Um, you know, his brand is on fire. Yeah, Kick-ass entrepreneur, man. Yeah. Dope marketer. Yeah, exactly. So when, when this opportunity came about, it was like, no brainer, let's do it. So, so no, I am not accepting any else. Okay. I hear you, man. When, when you had initially started the grand, how did you assess that? Like, okay, I think I could probably pull in like industry level talent to Boston. That's never been here before. Was that you just saying like, I'm just going to send it or. Well, I mean, again, we, it was all of us. We have a, a giant team of talent uh, buyers and, and um, 
you know, on our team, you know, from, from DJ Costa to, you know, Tim Benito's our VP of talent, you know, added Joe and I believed in talent is the driving force behind nightlife. And again, it goes back to the Vegas model, right? What's driving Vegas? What's driving nightlife talent at the time, EDM music. And now it's a mixture of EDM and hip hop and whatever. So what happened was, and we had shrine. So we've had shrine since 2008 and it's now 2020. So for 12 years, Shrine's been a mega success, the number one nightclub in New England for a long time, all built off of talent. I remember we booked Steve Aoki. We've been booking Steve Aoki for 12 years. First time we booked Steve Aoki, his name was Kid Millionaire. He was no an open, open format DJ that at 12 years ago, we had him just DJ for like a thousand bucks. He DJed. Was he and still that, doing like 700 shows a year back yeah. then? Yeah, he's he's a maniac. Um, That's real, right? Like he really does a million shows a year. Well, he does three hundred shows a year. Yeah, that seven hundred would be two a day every day. You know that's impossible. But three hundred, he literally does two hundred and fifty to three hundred shows a year. That's he, insane. He, and he'll fly. Like he'll go. He'll play Boston, Vegas, New Jersey. Like he doesn't even care about the route. He just he wants to work every night, no matter what. He's a maniac. And then he'll do a backflip into his foam pit in that big yeah. playhouse. Yeah. Yeah. I've actually been there. It was the coolest experience. Oh my God. What was that like? Aoki's Playhouse. I didn't jump into the foam pit, but I wanted to jump into the pool off of his balcony. But no, we played poker uh, one night. I was in Vegas and he had a little poker game in his house. It was fun uh, just chilling out. But he uh, he's a great dude and a great friend. He's actually invested in our um, in like seven of our places uh, because it all started back at Shrine. So then we had Avicii early on in like 2010, 2011, when he was peaking. So that was when like the light bulb really went off. Like, oh, we could do this in the woods of Connecticut. Never mind Boston, where there's 400,000 college kids and and everything else to go along with it. So, um, so that mentality of talent started a long time ago, 10 years ago, and we know that no matter what place we open, it's going to be built off of talent, artists, after parties. You know, it, it's almost part of the marketing plan because if, if you have big talent, that talent then posts that they were there and now all of a sudden that's the cool place to be. So it, it's this evolving circle that's just constantly talent. You know, you provide good service, good food, good drinks, good music, great sound, great bottle service, great parades, great party. You know, it's not rocket science, but it's a magical formula when you can put it all together. Now, this is a question I've always had. When you book talent, so let's say like uh, the Migos are showing up to the Grand, when you work out the deal, is a part of the deal when you're like, hey, you got to post on IG about this? Is that always part of the deal? Or sometimes do they negotiate out of it? Sometimes. It depends who they are. Most of them just do it. It's, you know, part of the culture. Everyone's IG no matter where they are. Um, so Yo, your IG is popping. <laughs> thanks well we have good content it's not your videographers just, are fire i know i'm just stealing all of our uh, videographer and, and photographers content we have a full-time videographer smile it's kyle he uh he's amazing and then evan larson who's a, a, a another amazing talent out of emerson so we've uh scooped up some good um good guys and 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 pay them well and and they do an unbelievable job between videography and photography Chris Lovato does uh, Avant Gardner in New York. He does Shrine. He does Tau Group. He does Memoir. He does Grant. So try to hire the best talent and have the best content. And, and it is video marketing and, and photos are the name of the game, you know? So just a real quick rewind. 
so sometimes talent will say, okay, I don't want to post on my IG about this. Yeah, the bigger they are, the less likely they are to post. But then you will, you, will you say, hey, but I'll toss you an extra 50K if you toss this up on your story? Well, it's not really worth that. So, no. Like, the hard line is what is – there's an interesting business question, right? What is a post on Tyga's Instagram worth? I mean, where are his followers from? Are his followers going to come to the Grand tomorrow night? You know, so there's – it's not worth that much. So we just wait, we just mostly wait for it to be natural and organic. Most of them post. And I don't know why I picked Tyga. He just came to mind. We had him right before um, we had to close. But I, uh, you know, Kim Kardashian comes. It's amazing if she posts. But it's not worth 50K. Is it worth 5K? Maybe, you know. Dude. But like, she wants like a million for a post, you know. Yeah, but she's got that fat following. I know. But, but if you had an online business that sold product, you would pay for it because you need the eyeballs on your merchandise or fashion or pocketbook or shoes or sneakers. We sell an experience. So that audience needs to come and experience what we're providing. And they might be in LA or Dubai or China or Japan. Like, how does that impact us? We need New England followers to come to New England. And so it's a combination. Organic works fine. Don't pay too much for that stuff. Now, where, where does most of your marketing budget go specifically for the grand? Like you guys do a bunch of those billboards off 93 and stuff. No, almost everything's digital at this point. So we spend a ton of money on talent and then get the organic stuff. And then we'll spend, we'll spend money on digital Facebook, Instagram, that type of advertising and targeted um, you know, fans of Aoki, you know, and go out and target his fans that may not be our fans. Uh, but highly targeted approach. We run some cable ads because because of our amazing videographers, they really? create they create some amazing um, commercials. So you know, you could take a commercial and run it digitally and on Comcast. You know, during a Bruins Stanley Cup Finals game or a Celtics play oh, playoff game. So it's like live sports is a great way to market because people are watching. Um, so a lot of the times we'll market. Is that your night. demo though? Would Nesson necessarily be a demo? Cause you got a lot of like 50 year old dads watching Nesson. Well, you know, it depends on the, uh, on the sport, you know, Red Sox skew, maybe a little bit older, uh, a little different demo. Each demo is different, but no, I mean, at the end of the day, everyone watches sports or sports center or, you know, who knows? Um, it's not a hundred percent of our budget, but we'll throw 20% of our budget towards that. And then more like 50% towards digital um, because that's where every, you know, you could target every eyeball digitally, you know. Dude, are you just like itching to get back to work right now? I could imagine you're going nuts. Yeah. Uh, you know, trying to stay one day at a time and, and, and be positive um, and just win the day. Uh, but yeah, I'm ready. I'm sure. Hey, I'm ready. Hey, Timo, we'll start with, uh slugs you got a question for big randy yeah i do um i was wondering with the college population in uh boston being so high do you wish that the drinking age or do you think that the drinking age should be lower okay slugs that's a great question man that's a great question i'm not sure i can fully answer that uh all that well i mean you know because it's almost like a societal big question <laughs> I can't change the law, but 
I mean, you know, part of part of the answer is sure, why not? It would be great to have a larger group of people that could come and enjoy the party. Uh, Big Night Live is 18 plus a lot of the times, all ages a lot of the times, depending on the act. Is, is uh, Lance but, Tobin still booking for you at Big Night Live? No, he moved to New York. We have a different booker now, Alex. But uh, That's my guy. Uh, he, he was on the podcast like a couple months back. Oh, really? Yeah, you know, he moved to New York a few months ago. But um, so to answer your question, are 18, 19, 20-year-olds able to drink successfully without being a mess? Not as well as 21 plus. So there's this fine line of safety, fun, uh, maturity that needs to happen. Um, but, but it's a much larger question is like Canada's 18 plus, like a lot of societies, a lot of countries are 18 plus. If we were, maybe we'd mature faster on the drinking end. But as of now, the younger you are, the more sloppy you are when you come to one of our places. So it's a For fine line. I don't know. For sure. And I bet, um, excuse me, what was the name of the Emerson bar again? Oh, the estate back the in the estate. day. I'm sure you're dealing with a lot of that. Well, I mean, listen, Big Night follows, and I know I'm not just saying this because it's on a podcast, like we follow the law to a T. We have uh, machines that scan your IDs. We, we do everything I can to make sure that everyone is 21 plus because we cannot serve underage. With, and, you don't want to deal with all that. Though, no, it's very license. bad. Very bad. It's not healthy. It's not smart. It's not lawful. And I'm not just saying it. It's really not good. So if the law was different, sure, it'd be a different game and would have a lot more customers because there's 100,000 seniors and 400,000 college kids. So we're missing out on 300,000 undergrad, underage kids that, that – but they'll get there. They'll become seniors and they'll celebrate at a big night spot. So we'll wait patiently Let for them. Let them go to Tavern in the Square, man. Let them wait their turn. <laughs> exactly. Hey, uh, B, any questions for Randy? Yeah, so I was looking, uh, I saw you you helped create Big Mind Creative Group, and it's kind of like a think tank with uh, new ideas. Can you share any of those innovations and uh, some of the new ideas that are maybe coming from Vegas that you thought about bringing to Boston? Dude, our producers are kick-ass. Great go. question, great question. So Big Mind Creative is is an interesting point because we're, we're going to start building new companies that are within the B, within the brand, within the, the orbit of Big Night that might not be nightlife, might not be restaurant. Like in this particular case, it's marketing. Um, you know, I come from a, an entirely marketing background. And so starting a marketing company with our partners. So it's Ed, Joe and I, and then uh, a group um, of guys that are amazing, Scott and Joe and Alex. Uh, they have done all of our creative since day one. Uh, all of our logos, all of our websites, all of our stuff. So we joined forces, started a company together called it Big Mind, and yeah, we're innovating within the creative marketing world uh, for people that, I mean, creative is everything, right? So from your logo to your website to your brand development. Um, so it didn't come from Vegas in this particular case. This actually is originating here, homegrown, and it's all from our minds and, and our creativity. We think we do it pretty well, and, and branding and, and um and you know, developing a brand, staying within guidelines, and really doing smart, creative content from video, you know, videography to to photography to brand development is all stuff that um, that we're doing at Big Mind, and we want to do it for other people. So we didn't call it Big Night Creative Group because it's not for nightlife only; it's for anybody. 
we want we want any company in the world that that wants to have a stronger brand, a more interactive brand, a brand that speaks to young people, uh, which we don't think a lot of the ad agencies do, or a lot of the creative agencies are are a little bit uh, stuck in the older times, in our opinion. That we have a nimble, young, active workforce. Um, that is all within the big night orbit. I mean, we have 1,500 employees that have tens, if not hundreds of followers each. I mean, we have, our network is almost a media company at this point. We can reach millions of people yeah, I can through, imagine. Our, through our network. So that, that's where Big Mind came from. We started Big Night Radio. We're doing, we're doing radio mixes on Sirius. Dude, on let Google. me host on that thing, man. Give me a uh, shot. Well, right now we're getting shots with um, Sirius, with Pitbull, Globalization, mix shows. Oh, let's go. Dash Radio, Kiss 108 broadcasts our mix every, every, every week. So we're doing um, Big Night Radio, Big Mind Creative. You know, we're going to do Big Night TV. We're going to do Big Night Talent. We're going to start a management company in the music division. So we're going we're gonna to expand past just hospitality. And obviously that's our core. That's what we do the best. But we think we could take our skill and knowledge and what we've learned over the past 13 years as Big Night and, and longer as, as humans. And, and Ed and Joe have been in business in the hospitality business for a long time and do music, do marketing, do uh, hospitality and, and, and really create a, a wide orbit of multi-use businesses. Yeah. So Big Mind's like your, it's your marketing vehicle for when you grow outside of Boston. Yeah, it's a cre well, it's a creative platform for platform, a creative platform that for anyone that wants it, you know, uh, from golden deer to, uh, the Red Sox. I mean, who wants us to touch their brand and maybe brand a little more popular. Yeah. Young, vibrant, energetic, creative minds using, you know, developing, um, some cool programming. And we're working with some people right now. Um, one um, major college, for example, we have an unbelievable uh, rapport going on with a university. I can't say who yet, but um, it, it would really, the, the amount of things. I'm going to guess it's Harvard. The, I'm going to guess Harvard. Nah, and the amount of things that are in the program, I mean, it's like 50 deep of how we could merge the big night world and the university world to really develop like attractive, exciting reasons to not only attend the, the high level education of a particular university, but to bring a sort of fun, energetic, young vibe to it too. So. Now question, when you, when you start up a new business venture like that, in the back of your mind, are you ever like, am I not gonna have enough time for my responsibilities for the other ones? Or like, when do you make the call where you're like, all right, let's just do it. No, I wanna do it all. Let's there's, go. No, there's no stopping. Uh, we have an amazing team. We have, you know, 1,500 uh, team members on Big Night. We have an amazing group of executives. We have 30 people that have been with us from day one. Uh, That's what all you successful entrepreneurs say. You're like, oh, I got a great team that backs me up, man. It's not bullshit, though. It's real because, it, seriously, every successful business has a successful team behind it. It's not me. I'm just one person. What could I do? Like you just said, like how much can you do before you stop? Well, I personally could only do so much, uh, but my brain can do a lot and all of our brains together do way more than just one. So it's actually not bullshit. It might sound cliche, but it really is the real reason why you're able to do more is because other people 
jump in, share their knowledge, and together you develop a much stronger, better company, you know? When did you start really developing like the vision past just like spinning that kiss? Were you always like, yo, I'm going to be a fucking boss one day? Was that always in your mind or, or as time went on, you're like, okay, I'm thinking a little bit bigger and a little bit bigger. So I have one cool story back at Kiss. The general manager of the radio station, I was 24 years old. I think it was like sort of after that Concord stunt. And she pulled me into the office and said, what do you want to do? Seriously. And I was 24. And she said, I want you to write down. This is probably the best secret, the best thing anyone could ever do in life. I want you to write down your one year, your three year, and your five year goals. I want you to write a letter, three separate pieces of paper, personal, professional, any goal you have, write it down. One year, three year, five year, put it in an envelope, self-addressed, give it to me and I'll mail it to you on, on the one year anniversary, the three year anniversary, on the five year anniversary. And it was the coolest experience of my life because when you write down a goal, it's in the universe. You now know how to go achieve it. It's in your brain. So I'm going to spook you. Ready? I was 24. My one years came back and they were all lined up. My three years came back and they were all lined up. I have no recollection of this. I get the five-year letter in the mail. I'm 29 years old. One of the things I wrote when I was 24 was open a nightclub at Foxwoods. Own a nightclub at Foxwoods. How the hell did I write at 24 to open a nightclub at Foxwoods? Not even just open a nightclub or own a nightclub. It was own a nightclub at Foxwoods. And that was the year that it happened. Wow. What was and, the three year? It was the five year. It was what, 24. What was the three year though? Oh, it was like make X number of dollars, uh, married with one kid, um, you know, do the, I don't even remember, but it was all, it was all things that I was on track I was either meeting or, or on track to meet financially, family-wise, all the different things you wanted to hit. But the most wild one out of anything I could have written was own a nightclub at Foxwoods five years later, get it in the mail. And then within months, we owned a nightclub at Foxwoods. That's fire. But it's bizarre. And I wish I, I actually do that with some of, some of the team now. Like, I really want everyone to write down their goals because when you write them down, you meet them. And um, my son does judo, uh, has won young, he's 14 now, but has won uh, national judo championship a bunch of times. And he has been trained by Jimmy Pedro, who went to the Olympics four times, and Kayla Harrison, who won the Olympics twice, first female judo player to ever win, not only once, but twice from America. She's now in MMA. She uh, fights for the Professional Fighters League. She won last year's, the PFL last year, a million dollars. She'll end up being like pro most likely UFC and, and be like Ronda Rousey, one of the most famous fighters in the history of MMA. You'll see this soon. Fast forward five years, that'll be a fact. Um, her number one thing she says to all the kids that are training, a goal set is a goal met. And so I say it to my team all the time, like, seriously, if you set a goal, you're going to meet it because you, it's so obvious, you know? Like, yes and no. Be, like if you obsess over it yeah if you can tap into that but some people say shit and they don't get it done you know what i'm saying well i'll try harder well dude i gotta be honest with you i probably sent you like 19 emails i finally got there man let's fucking get it yeah you set a goal i don't know why it was me but you set a goal 
I mean, I'm sure you've done it with hundreds of people, but oh yeah, but, you see the email. It's sick. Exactly. <laughs> I, I'm not surprised. But uh, but seriously, I I don't think it's bullshit. I think if you set your personal goal, you're striving to meet it. You're spending your time trying to meet that goal. Go meet it. And if you don't meet it, well, maybe you fall short, but you tried your ass off. But that is truly the best advice anyone could ever give anyone is set a goal, go obsess over it, go meet it, because that's what creates success. Well, and if you were to, so what about your five year right now? If you were to write it down, like, where would you like to take everything? Like, It's funny because I've never done it since and I don't do it personally anymore. And maybe I should. Um, but uh, world domination would probably be on the five year uh, Big night world domination. I mean, you know, not, I'm joking, but in all seriousness, you're for uh, it, man. <laughs> no, no. Uh, in all seriousness, uh, the the goals right now are to develop big night into a uh, worldwide, you know, global brand. I want to develop this B into a uh, everyone that sees it knows what it means in five years. If you could. If you could start up another venue right now, unlimited money, what would you start? Like, what would your idea venue concept be? Your dream? Uh, you, you probably want a casino on the strip, right? That's like the gold standard. That's that's a multi-billion dollar standard. But, uh, you know, it, it's interesting because we just got finished building $50 million worth of properties. So we built Big Night Live which was approximately $30 million. Memoir is beautiful, man. I went in and it's awesome. Yeah, thanks. It's really cool. It's a special place. Um, we built Memoir and we built Mystique all within the last you know, year. So, so Mystique and Memoir opened in June and um, Big Night Live opened in late October, almost November. And so by building three gigantic monstrosities of buildings that totaled $50 million, I'm like exhausted like mentally exhausted. So I haven't even thought of what's next because we just kind of nailed our goals. So now it's like, okay, let's make them all successful. Let's have 300 shows a year at Big Night Live. Let's, uh, you know, obviously, and now we're in the middle of this. Let's get through this safely, healthy, and successfully. And then we'll start back up. We'll think of more. But I, 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 I don't have this giant... Um, thought process that holy shit we got to open another amazing venue like i mean when you're like 65 though you're like okay look at this piece of property i own like that's fire yeah i'll start thinking about it i'll start uh thanks to this podcast i'll start uh considering call it the randy but quite frankly i I really want to expand into the music world um you know uh my son's producing music uh edm that i love and I want to help his brand and his music find the world. Uh, the Break Bomb Project's really cool. Sweet. And so I want to manage, um, we want to manage artists as a company. Uh, and we want to expand into Big Night Records, start a record label. Like do, do things, obviously, within hospitality, more Scorpion Bars, more stuff with Guy Fieri, more Chicken Guys. Uh, the four nightclubs and, and nightlife venues we have is a lot. That's uh, boring in this market no it's not boring we got to make them successful and forever um but having another one is not necessarily the top thing on on my plate uh i think it's expanding more uh brand expanding the brand i think is number one yeah hey big fresh you got a question for randy uh 
yeah. Um, so you kind of touched on, you know, um, the music scene, but can you talk about, uh, like, any kind of existing relationships you have between your venues and the music scene in Boston? Because, you know, obviously a big-name artist is good for um, pulling in tickets, but how do you gauge what, like, local acts are probably a good bet to kind of um, take a risk on? It's tough. Yeah, it's a great question. Um, you know, now that we have a, a concert venue, a live music venue, we're starting to dive into the, the Boston music scene a little bit more. When it comes to nightclubs and DJs, we have 23 local DJs that we've identified as the best of the best, and they all exclusively play our places. So that music scene, from a, from a DJ perspective, um, and especially I came from DJing, so, like, I'll evaluate them and feel – uh, fill them out whether I like them whether I think they're talented um and that and a good person that is number one if you're a good person you work hard and you have some DJ talent then you're in he's uh, a big fresh as a DJ get him in there man there he's we go handsome well, as hell shorties love him all right let's see so <laughs> DJ Costa uh is our director of entertainment and he 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 sort of takes him and JD in Connecticut uh take on all the applications of who wants to DJ our places it's pretty hard to find a slot because obviously I just said we have 23 people locally, um, which is pretty hard to find everybody enough slots to make them all happy. But on the band side or the hip hop side or the performance artist side, we're looking for talent. And, um, you know, we have a couple of booking agents within our organization that are booking people uh, for these live shows, usually to open for some of the big hip hop acts. So we found some local hip hop acts that have opened. Uh, Latin acts, uh, Cisco has, has helped us put on some Latin shows and open. So um, we're, we're, I don't I don't fully know where to find them all, but uh, you know, Big Night Live was only about five months, six months open, but when when we had to close, but when we open back up, uh, we're very excited to expand on that um, Boston music scene at Big Night Live for sure. Now the growth of the Seaport. Did that coincide with your success whatsoever, or is it all? It was pretty much developed by the point the grand started, right? Well, interestingly, Empire we opened eight years ago in the Seaport. It was the second restaurant ever after Strega Waterfront. Um, so Joe Fallon, who owned that building, found us, and we found him, and we put Empire in there real, real early before any of those businesses developed. And then by being, you know, by having a, a great restaurant there early on, it helped us sort of meet people, meet the neighborhood. And then when WS developed that entire block, um, you know, we were early talking to the owners of WS about putting uh, a nightclub in there and for fortunate to get that deal. So um, at that point, I mean, did you we know we, it was going to be so big. Which part? When you had started, no, when you had started Empire, did you know the seaport was going to turn into this like little mini mega city? Yeah, it was part of the plan. So they had a 10 year plan even back then that showcased how big the developments were going to be and how big uh, Mayor Menino back in the day and Joe Fallon, you know, were both uh, big on developing that neighborhood. And now it used Mayor to be just like a, a parking lot, right? Just like a all parking lots. The, it was all it was all the big dig, the big dig, the, the bridge, you know, the artery going over the city. Once that went under the city and the greenway and everything happened, that made Seaport relevant because it, it, it became part of the fabric of the city and you walk from financial district and it really got developed. Um, so we were fortunate to be early on and it's definitely been a major part of 
of our success. The neighborhood's awesome. Um, it's so great to be in the seaport and, and yeah, we're lucky. A lot of dudes in suits though, man. Nothing wrong with that. A lot of button up shirts going on. <laughs> a lot of Cole Haan loafers. <laughs> um, all right. We got some final questions. Oh yeah. So, I mean, I don't want to turn this into like the most negative thing of all time, but like what, when do you think your spots will open back up soon? Well, it's all going to be based off of science and medical and health and safety of our employees. Um, You know, Massachusetts is still currently a hotspot. It's, it's, it's not quite on the other side of the curve yet. We'll have a phase plan based on the guidelines of phase one, two, and three. I think, um, you know, we're actually going to start with takeout at empire starting this weekend. Um, So that's exciting just to get some, activity back going people have been asking for it it's been a month we're ready to kind of at least do that um the restaurants will start with some some half capacity dining social separation uh and then the nightlife spots will happen when we're allowed to when governor baker and mayor walsh say it's cool we'll do it but as long as we listen they're amazing and they're safety first so it's not like we're in Georgia or Florida or somewhere yeah. where, where they're saying go back. If, if we were in Georgia and Florida and they said, yeah, you can open your bars, we wouldn't. It's not safe yet. It's obvious. I don't know why it's not obvious. So when it's safe and when our employees are comfortable going back to work and, and feel like it's the right thing to do, then we'll do it. Uh, we're prepared. We're ready to do it when it's the right safe time. Not, we're not doing this for money safety over money and we'll we'll we feel good that we'll get through this and be on the other side of it and when we are we'll win do you think the event industry will how will it change like will people do more interactive experiences now like do you think there will be any long-lasting effect on it yeah i mean there's going to be innovation there's definitely going to be some interactive events and online concerts and all that stuff i mean the concert industry may take the longest or will take the longest to come back um because it's large crowds i mean it might be a year before there are large crowds um so we're just going to take it day by day and do it there might be some interactive stuff and it may change it a little bit i mean we have physical brick and mortar spaces so we've we've discussed how we might go live and do live streams from our places in the future when people are performing with the artists so it gives the people that don't want to go out but this isn't going to last forever. I mean, it, it, there's been other major pandemics and they're horrible. Um, and they last a while, a year, two years, there'll be a vaccine and everyone will, will go back to some sort of normalcy. I know it doesn't feel that way right now, but no, I'm with you, man. I'm pumped. Yeah. I think the first night the grand is opening, you guys are going to have like a record night. I know. We all we all think that so so we can't You're wait. You have to get a kick-ass performer for that night. You got to get someone crazy. Well, it's it's actually probably going to be a rolling open. It's not going to be like that one big grand opening. We don't know when it'll be, so it's hard to book a performer for it. But we will have we have amazing talent lined up for the fall and beyond. Uh, the summer will probably be a slow grind. Not that it won't be busy, but I think we have to safely do it with smaller capacities. Uh, the, the major talent will probably resume in the fall or winter, but, but we'll see. Maybe it's longer. Maybe it's shorter. Um, stay tuned and check out all of our socials. For sure. And, dude, I think that 
pe- there's going to be such a consumer demand for people wanting to like just get turned up at a club. Well, here's the reality. Anyone under 30 feels that way. And everyone over 30 or might have children or older parents or, you know, it's, they don't quite feel that way. You know, I'm with you, you know, I'm on the older side of 30, obviously, but I do believe that there's a part of the population that wants to rage and there's a part that, that want to wait it out. And where we have to, as business owners, sort of ride that line carefully and not go too aggressive in either direction. I hear you. And Hey, can you, can you briefly talk about before we end just the be strong fund? Cause you guys are going in for your employees. That's fire. Yeah. Thanks. Uh, so, so far we've raised, we started the be strong fund. We've raised uh, almost $300,000 uh, for our team. You know, we have 1500 team members. Uh, we have about 575 applicants for more assistance. Some are a, some aren't able to collect unemployment or some are in dire need of food, diapers, formula, so we, we put a committee of five together to go comb through all the applicants. And um, we've so far uh, donated $130,000 uh, to 110 people so far. Uh, we've put food boxes together of enough food for two weeks. And we've given those boxes of food to 150 of our team members. Um, and you do it based on like who needs it the most, right? Yeah. Yeah. So we put a committee together. We put an application together, all private. I haven't seen it. I don't, you know, it's, it's literally a non-ownership committee. We want to make it fair and, and right. And um, so that, so a committee is voting on, on really who needs it the most. And, and, and a lot of the employees are being honest. Like, listen, there, there's so much generosity that comes out of this. It's unbelievable. Like there might be somebody that needs it badly and they're saying, you know what? I, I can make it two more weeks. Go help that other person first. Put me in the second line. Um, so it's been inspiring, and, um, and it's really cool um, to see the generosity, and it's really made us better people. Like, I don't know. I feel more generous because of it. I, I feel like I want to be more giving than ever. And, you know, Ed, Joe, and I started the fund with $100,000 of our own money, and 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 then have generated another 200 on top and so we're doing an auction on our big night instagram page so every day there's a different auction we've done snoop dog 50 cent guy fieri um we have some really cool ones coming up with the ufc donated this mega package to go see the ufc when they're back in action dana white's a good friend of ours he's amazing um so so many people shaquille o'neal coming up um, so many people have, have donated really cool experiences, meet and greets and different things, and people can go bid on it. And a hundred percent of the proceeds go to the fund and, you know, we'd love to generate 500,000 and get everybody, you know, that needs it thousands of dollars to make it through, um, this timing until we can hire everyone back. Cause you know, the one thing that, that, that's hard for everyone to understand is when you go from X number of, of revenue to zero there's no money. It's like, I'm out of a job too. I'm unemployed uh, as, as the entrepreneur or, you know, one of the co-owners of the company, it's like, there's no money left. It's gone. There's zero. So, um, we need the comeback. So in the meantime, dude, you'll get it, man. Don't worry. And yeah, thank you. I hope so. And in the meantime, all we can do is focus our energy on, on, you know, I'm fortunate. I have a nice house and my kids have food and, and we're in good shape comparatively. So we're doing everything I can to, uh, to get the team um, through this. 
And when we get to the other side, we'll all be there to throw the best rager of all time. Let's go. It's huge. Hey, man, I had a blast, dude. I hope you had fun. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> it's cool to talk about this stuff and, and especially the Be Strong stuff. And thanks for uh, featuring it. And, and um, can't wait to see you at the Grand when it's all said and done. Yeah. All right, everybody. That was my golden hour.